All right, all right, all right. We're all set up. My check one, two, one, two. What is up? What is up? What is up? Hello. I am your host. I am the host of the um, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Foul podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Isaiah. And today, uh, okay, hold on. This is the podcast where we talk about the most depraved, fucked up, disturbing cases ever. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is a disclaimer before we even get started, before I even tell you what we're going to be talking about today. This, this is a warning throughout for the entire, this entire show. This is not for the pain of heart. If you are sensitive to certain topics, such as abuse, murder, domestic abuse, sexual abuse, other types of depravity, I suggest you click off this right now because I do not sugarcoat anything. These are fucked up cases we will be talking. We will be talking about, and today is probably one of the most depraved and fucked up cases I will ever cover on this podcast, other than the Junko Furuta case, which I will definitely be getting to in the future. Um, today we will be talking about the murder, the torture, and murder of Sylvia Likens. Now, this is a very fucked up case, and I've heard of this case even before I decided to start. Before I decided to start this pod. And it was already fucked up. But now that I know all the details, I know all the fucking, all the parts about it, it's just, it's horrible. And I'm gonna be here to share it today. Remember, this is entertainment, but it is also education. This is, these are real things that happen. This is not fictional. This is true crime. And it's in the fucking name. Uh, I hope you, um, if if you aren't sensitive to these types, these types of topics and you want to see what happened to this girl, stick around. Alright, stick around. I don't know, grab a snack. Actually, don't grab a snack. You're probably going to be fucking throwing it up by the time we're finished. And, um, I'll sit here and listen. So, Sylvia Likens was an American teenager who was tortured and murdered by her caregiver, Gertrude Benazuski, many of Benazuski's children, and several of their neighborhood friends. This abuse incrementally lasted for three months before Likens died from her extensive injuries and malnourishment on October 26th in Indianapolis, Indiana. Likens was increasingly neglected, belittled, sexually humiliated, beaten, starved, lacerated, and dehydrated by her tormentors. Her autopsy showed 150 wounds across her body, including severe burns, scald marks, and eroded... Oh, goddammit, notifications... Uh, sorry, hold on. I gotta check this notification on my page. Okay, good thing. Good, good. Okay, now. Um, where was I at? Okay, yeah. Her autopsy showed 150 wounds across her body, including several burns, scald marks, and eroded skin. Through intimidation, her younger sister, Jenny, was occasionally forced to participate in her mistreatment. The official cause of her death was determined to be a homicide caused by a combination of subdural hematoma and shock. Complicated by, which is also complicated by severe malnutrition. Gertrude Benazuski, her oldest daughter Paula, her son John, and two neighborhood youths, Coy Hubbard and Richard Hobbs, were all tried and convicted in May 1966 of neglecting, torturing, and murdering Likens. At the defendant's trial, Deputy Prosecutor Leroy New described the case as the most diabolical case, the most diabolical case to ever come across. Cross a court or a jury. Gertrude's defense attorney, 
William C. Erbecker described lichens as having been subjugated to acts of degradation that you wouldn't even commit to a dog on a dog, actually. Sorry, I misread that before her death. After eight hours of deliberation, the jury found Gertrude Benazewski guilty of first-degree murder. She was sentenced to life imprisonment, but for some reason, she was released on parole in 1985. It still doesn't make sense to me to this day. Paula was found guilty of second-degree murder and was released in 1972 for some reason. Hobbs, Hubbard, and John were found guilty of manslaughter and served less time than and served less time than the other two. They served less than two years in the Indiana Reformatory, Reformatory before being granted parole on February 27, 1968. Um, the torture and murder of Sylvia Likens is widely regarded by Indiana citizens as the worst crime ever committed in their state, and has been described by a senior invest senior by a senior investigator in the, in the Indianapolis Police Department as the most sadistic case he had ever investigated in the, thir in the 35 years he served with the Indianapolis Police. Likens was the, third, was the third of five children born to carnival workers, Lester Cecil Likens and his wife, Elizabeth Francis. She was born between two sets of fraternal twins, Daniel and Diana, two years older than her, and Benny and Jenny who were both one year younger than her. Jenny Likens suffered from polio, causing one of her legs to be weaker than the other. She was afflicted with a notable limp and had to wear a steel brace on one leg. Lester and Elizabeth's marriage was unstable. They often sold candy, beer, and soda at carnival stands around Indiana throughout the summer, moving frequently and regularly experiencing financial uh, difficulties. The Likens sons regu regularly traveled with them in order to assist with their job, but Sylvia and Jenny were discouraged from doing the same, out of concern for their safety and education. As a result, both sisters frequently frequently stayed with their relatives, often their grandmother. In her teenage years, Sylvia Likens occasionally earned spending money by babysitting, running errands, or performing ironing chores for her friends and neighbors, often giving her mother part of her earnings. She has been described as friendly and confident by, um, by friendly and confident and a lively girl. She was also she was known as Cookie to her friends. Um, although exuberant, Likens always kept her mouth closed when smiling due to a missing front tooth, which she had lost while roughhousing with one of her brothers during a childhood game. She also had she also had a fondness for music, in particular the Beatles, and was notably protective of her markedly more timid and insecure younger sister. On several occasions, the two sisters would visit a local skating rink where Sylvia would help Jenny skate by holding her hand while Jenny skated on her unaffected foot. By June 1965, Sylvia and Jenny Likens resided with their parents in Indianapolis. On July 3rd, her mother was arrested and subsequently jailed for shoplifting. Therefore, shortly thereafter, Lester Likens arranged for his daughters to, be, to board with Gertrude Benazewski, the mother of two girls with... Uh, whom the two sisters had recently become acquainted while studying at Arsenal Tech High School. At the time of this boarding agreement, Gertrude assured Lester that she would take care for his daughters until his return as if they were her own children. This is obviously a bold-faced lie, as you will see from this next from this next passage I'm about to read from the script. Now on to the abuse. 
Although Lester Likens had agreed to pay Gertrude Benizewski $20 a week in exchange for the care of his daughters, after approximately two weeks, uh, these payments failed to consistently arrive upon the prearranged dates, right by the prearranged dates, arriving one or two days late. In response, Gertrude began venting her frustration at this fact upon the sisters by beating their bare uh, behinds with various instruments, such as a one, uh, such as a 6.4 millimeter paddle, making statements such as, "Well, I took care of you, uh, I took care of you two little bitches for a week for nothing." On one occasion in late August, both girls were beaten approximately 15 times on the back with the aforementioned paddle. After Paula had accused the sisters of eating too much food at the church supper, the church, uh, wait no, at a church supper, the household children had attended. By mid August 1965, Gertrude Benizuzzi. Uh, yes? Yeah, you can. Just, uh, stop interrupting, please. I'm working on something important, okay? Alright, I apologize, my siblings. Um, I'm the oldest, so I have to deal with a bunch of bullshit. But yeah, so, like I was saying. Okay. By mid-August 1965, Gertrude Benizewski had begun to focus her abuse almost exclusively upon Sylvia, with her primary motivation likely being jealousy of her physical appearance and potential in life. God, I should start bringing water on these fucking episodes. According to the subsequent trial testimony, this abuse was initially inflicted upon Sylvia after she and Jenny had returned to the Benizewski residence from Arsenal Technical High School, as well as on the weekends. This initial abuse included uh, subjecting Likens to beatings and starvation, forcing her to eat leftovers or spoiled food out of garbage cans. On one occasion, Likens was accused of stealing candy she had actually purchased. On another occasion, in late August, Likens was, Likens was subjected to humili humiliation when she claimed to have a boyfriend in Long Beach, whom she had met in, sp in the spring of 1965 when her parents lived in uh, California, or when her family, not just her parents. Uh, you're welcome. I'm going to sit them again. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm doing something important, please. All right, there we go. In response to hearing this, Gertrude asked if she had ever done anything with a boy. To which Likens, unsure of her meaning, replied, I guess so, and explained that she had gone skating with boys there and had once gone to a park on the beach with them. Continuing the conversation with Stephanie and Jenny, Likens mentioned that she had once laid under the covers with her boyfriend. Pretty innocent. Upon hearing this, Gertrude asked, Why did you do that, Sylvia? Likens replied, I don't know, and shrugged. Several days later, Gertrude returned to the subject with Likens, telling her, You're certainly getting big in the stomach, Sylvia. It looks like you're going to have a baby. Insecure-ass bitch. Likens thought Gertrude was kidding with her and said, Yeah, it sure is getting big. I'm going to have to go on a diet. Um, however, Gertrude then informed her and the other girls in the house that whenever they did something with a boy, they would be sure to have a baby. <sighs> My God. She then caked lichens in the genitals. Paula, herself overweight, herself overweight and three months pregnant, were also was also jealous of lichens' physical appearance. So then she participated in attacking lichens, knocking her off her chair and onto the kitchen floor, shouting, you ain't fit to sit in the chair, nigger. She didn't say nigger, but like, she said that you ain't fit to sit in the chair part. 
On another occasion, as the family ate supper, Gertrude, Paula, and a neighborhood boy named Randy Gordon Lepper force-fed lichens a hot dog overloaded with condiments, including mustard, ketchup, and spices. Lichens vomited as a result, was later forced to consume, which she had regurgitated. In what was Lichen's only act of retaliation, she's alleged to have spread a rumor at Arsenal Tech High that Stephanie and Paula Benazuski were prostitutes, which they probably were, let's be honest. I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, Paula probably was, though. Stephanie wasn't. She, she, even though she did do some, um, she did do something, like, kind of mean, I guess. She, she was really the only one who showed, um, Sylvia actual kindness. You'll, you'll see that later. Uh, Paula was still a bitch, though. Yeah, so Stephanie Paul, she said that Stephanie and Paula were prostitutes. She supposedly did this because she was upset with the household singling her out for similar accusations. I would be as well. I would probably do the same thing. I ain't gonna lie to you. Um, while at school, Stephanie was jokingly propositioned by a boy who told her that Likens had started this rumor about her. Upon returning home that day, Stephanie questioned Likens about the rumor, and she admitted to starting it. Stephanie punched him in response, which I guess is, um, reasonable. Actually, but Likens apologized to her in tears and began. Wait, no, sorry, my bad. But Likens apologized to her in tears, and Stephanie, Stephanie then also began to cry. However, when Stephanie's fucking crazy douchebag psycho boyfriend, 15 year old Coy Rudolph Randolph Hubbard, heard of the rumor, he brutally attacked Likens, slapping her, banging her head against the wall, and flipping her backwards onto the door. When Gertrude found out, she used the paddle to beat Likens. On another, what? <laughs> on another occasion, Paula beat Likens about the face with such force that she broke her own wrist, having primarily focused her blows upon Likens' teeth and eyes. Later, Paula used the cast on her wrist to further beat Likens. Gertrude repeatedly falsely accused Likens of promiscuity and of engaging in prostitution, delivering rents to Likens regarding, to fil- regarding the filthiness of prostitution and women in general. Gertrude would later occasionally force Jenny to strike her own sister, beating Jenny if she did not comply. Coy Hubbard and several of his douchebag classmates frequently visited the Benazuski residence. I don't know if I'm saying Benazuski correctly. I don't give a fuck the whole family's ass except for, like, Stephanie. Okay, so she frequently... Coy's, um... Classmates frequently visited the Benazuski residence to both physically and verbally torment Likens, often collaborating with the Benazuski's children and Gertrude herself. With the active encouragement of Gertrude, these neighborhood children routinely beat Likens, sometimes using her as a practice dummy in violent judo sessions, lacerating her body, burning her skin with lit cigarettes, and and um at least, uh, they burned her skin with lit cigarettes at least one hundred times and severely injured her genitals. To entertain Gertrude and her teenage accomplices, Likens was forced to at one point strip naked in the family living room and masturbate with a glass Pepsi-Cola bottle in their presence. This whole fucking... Jesus Christ. With Gertrude stating to all present that this act of humiliation was for Sylvia to prove to Jenny, but to quote-unquote prove to Jenny what kind of girl you are. She didn't do anything wrong. Gertrude's just a fucking bitch. Gertrude eventually forbade Likens from attending school after she confessed to having stolen stolen a gym uniform from the um from the school due to Gertrude having refused to buy the clothes for her. For this act of theft, Gertrude whipped Likens with a three-inch wide police belt. 
Gertrude then switched her uh, conversion conversation to the evils of premarital sex before repeatedly kicking Likens in the genitals as Stephanie rallied to Likens' defense, shouting, she didn't do anything. See, 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 Stephanie, she's not that bad. Even the punch that she gave her earlier, that's kind of justified. Gertrude then burned Likens' fingertips with matches before further whipping her. A few days later, Gertrude repeatedly whipped Jenny with a police belt after she reportedly stole a single tennis shoe from the school to wear on her strong foot. And this is where things start to escalate. This is where things just get horrible, horrible, horrible. Due to the increase in frequency and brutality of the torture and mistreatment Likens was subjected to, she gradually became incontinent. She was denied any access to the bathroom, being forced to wet herself. As a form of punishment for her incontinence, on October 6th, Gertrude threw Likens into the basement and tied her up. Here, Likens was all... Here, Likens was often kept naked, rarely fed, and frequently deprived of water. Occasionally, she was tied to the railing of the basement stairs, with her feet barely touching the ground. In the weeks prior to locking Likens in the family basement, Gertrude had increasingly abused and tormented Likens. She would occasionally falsely claim to the children in her household that she either she herself or one of them had been receiving direct insults from Likens in the hope this would provoke them into belittling or attacking her. On one occasion, Gertrude had held a knife aloft and challenged Likens to fight her back, which Likens replied that she did not know how to fight. In response, Gertrude inflicted a light scour wound to Likens' leg. Physical and mental torment such as this was occasionally seized by the Benazuskis to watch their favorite television shows. God, go to hell. The neighborhood children were also occasionally charged five cents apiece to see the display of Likens' of Lichen's body and to humiliate, beat, scald, burn, and ultimately mutilate her. Throughout Lichen's captivity in the basement, Gertrude frequently, with the assistance of her children and neighborhood and, and neighborhood kids, restrained and gagged Lichen before placing her in a bathtub filled with uh, boiling water and proceeded to rub salt into her wounds. On one occasion, Gertrude and her 12-year-old son Ron Jr., rubbed urine and feces from Gertrude's one-year-old son's diaper into Lycan's mouth before giving her a cup half-filled with water and saying the water was all she would have um, was all she would receive for the remainder of the day. On October 22nd, John Benazuski Jr. tormented Lycan's by offering to allow her to eat a bowl of soup with her fingers and quickly taking away the bowl when Lycan's, by this stage, was suffering from extreme malnutrition attempted to eat the food. Gertrude Benazuski eventually allowed Likens to sleep upstairs on the condition that she learned not to wet herself. Not to wet herself. That night, Sylvia whispered to Jenny to secretly bring, give her a glass of water before falling asleep. And I'm sure you can guess what she did after she got that water. The following morning, Likens had urinated in herself. As a punishment, Gertrude forced Sylvia to insert an empty glass Coca-Cola bottle into her, uh, into her vagina in the presence of the Benazuski children before Gertrude ordered her into the basement, ordered her back into the basement. Shortly thereafter, Gertrude shouted for Likens to return to the kitchen and forced her to strip naked before proclaiming to her, you have branded my daughters, now I'm going to brand you. Oh my God, she then took and heated up a needle. Well, in some versions I see it was a needle, another version I see it was a paperclip, but I think it was a needle. 
She began carving the words, I am a prostitute and proud of it, onto Lycan's abdomen. When Gertrude was unable to finish the branding, she instructed one of the neighborhood children present, the 14-year-old Richard Dean Hobbs, to finish etching the words into Lycan's flesh as she, took to, as she took Jenny to a nearby grocery store. In what Hobbs would later insist were short, light etchings, he continued to brand the text into Lycan's abdomen as she clenched her teeth and moaned. Not in that way, you sick fucks. Both Hobbs and 10-year-old Shirley Banaszewski then led Likens to the basement, where each proceeded to use an anchor bolt in an attempt to burn the letter. Oh, my bad. As between, uh, beneath Likens' left breast, although they applied one section of the loop backwards, and this deep burn scar would resemble the number three. It's a 10-year-old and a 14-year-old. My god, crazy as fucking work, right? Um, oh, sorry, I'm just checking something real quick. Um... Alright. Gertrude later taunted Likens by claiming she would never be able to marry due to the words carved on her stomach, stating, Sylvia, what are you gonna do now? You can't get married now. What are you gonna do? Weeping, Likens said, I guess there's nothing I can do. Later that day, Likens was forced to display the carving to the neighborhood children, with Gertrude claiming she had received. Oh, shit. Yes? Yes? I am right now, yeah. Alright. Sorry, hold on. Uh, I fucked up the script. My mom was just talking to me. Uh, here it is. Alright, with Gertrude claiming that she had received the inscription at a sex party. Yeah. That night, Sylvia confided to her sister. Jenny, I know you don't want me to die, but I'm going to die. I can tell it. The following day, Gertrude Benazuski woke Likens and forced her to write a letter as she dictated. What the hell? Why does my thing keep doing that? Sorry, my script's fucking up. Alright, forced her to write a letter. Okay, the following day, Gertrude woke Likens, then forced her to write a letter as she dictated the contents, which were intended to mislead her parents into believing that daughter had run away, ran away from the Benazuski residence. The content of this letter was intended to frame a group of a, anonymous local boys for extensively... Uh, for extensively abusing and mutilating Likens after she had initially agreed to engage in sexual relations with them before they inflicted the extreme abuse and torture upon her body. After Likens had written this letter, Gertrude finished formulating her plan to have John Jr. And, hold on, what the hell? I didn't even press any- Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, I apologize. I- oh, fuck. For some reason it clicked off my, um, notes. Hold on. Sorry. There it is. Coming, it's coming. It's close. I know this sounds horrible, bro. What the fuck? Um, where is it? Alright, here we go. After Likens had written the letter, Gertrude finished formulating her plan to save, to have John Jr. and Jenny blindfold Sylvia, then take her to a nearby wooded area known as Jimmy's Forest and leave her there to die. Thirsty. After she had finished writing the letter, Likens then, was then again tied to the stair railing and offered, and was offered crackers to eat. Although she refused them, saying, give it to the dog, I don't want it. In response, Gertrude forced the crack crackers into Likens' mouth before she and John Benazuski beat her, particularly around the stomach. On October 25th, Likens attempted to escape from the basement after overhearing a conversation between Gertrude and John, pertaining to the family's plan to abandon her and die. To abandon her to die. She attempted to flee to the front door, however, due to her extensive energy, Injuries and general weakness, Gertrude caught her before she could escape the property. 
Likens was Likens was then given toast to eat, but she wasn't able to consume the food because she was extremely dehydrated. And if she were to try to swallow it, she would probably choke. Gertrude forced the toast into her mouth before repeatedly striking her face with a curtain rod until sections of the instrument were bent into right angles. Jesus Christ. Coy Hubbard then took the curtain rod from Gertrude and struck Likens one more time, rendering her unconscious. Gertrude then dragged Likens into the basement. That evening, Likens desperately attempted to alert nearby neighbors by screaming for help and hitting the walls of the basement with a spade. One immediate neighbor of the Benazuskis would later inform police that she had heard the desperate commotion and that she identified the source as emanating from the Benazuski residence, but that as the noise had suddenly ceased at approximately 3 a.m., she decided not to talk about it. She did not, she decided not inform the police about the disturbance at that time. And uh, here's the day of her death, October 26th. Hikins was unable to either speak intelligibly or eat or coordinate the movement of her limbs. Gertrude moved Likens into the kitchen and, having propped her back against the wall, attempted to feed her a donut and a glass of milk. She threw Likens to the floor in frustration when Likens was unable to correctly move the glass of milk to her lips, and then she was returned to the basement. That's so unreasonable. How are we going to beat this woman? Or how are we going to beat this girl, this kid, for like, what, two months? Not barely feed her, basically not give her no water, and then... You're mad that she's not going to be able to do things right? Like, what the fuck you think? She's Supergirl, bitch? Shortly thereafter, Likens became delirious, repeatedly repeatedly moaning and mumbling. Paula asked her to recite the English al alphabet. Likens was unable to recite anything beyond the first four letters or to raise herself off the ground. In response, Paula verbally threatened her to either stand up or she would inflict a long jump on her. Gertrude then ordered Likens, ordered Likens who had defecated, to clean herself. That afternoon, several of Lycan's other tormentors gathered in the basement. Lycan's jerkingly moved her arms in an apparent attempt to point at the faces of the tormentors that she could recognize, making statements like, You're Ricky, you're Gertie. Before Gertrude tersely shouted, Shut up, you know who I am. Minutes later, Lycan's unsuccessfully attempted to bite into a rotten pear she had been given to eat, stating that she could feel the looseness in her teeth. Upon hearing this, Jenny replied, Don't you remember, Sylvia? You front tubes were knocked out when you were seven. Jenny then left Sylvia in the basement to perform gardening chores for the neighbors in the hopes of earning spending money. In an attempt to wash Likens, a laughing, a laughing John Benazuski Jr. sprayed her with the garden hose brought to the house that afternoon by Randy Lepper at Gertrude's request. Likens again desperately attempted to exit the basement, but collapsed before she could reach the stairs. In response to this effort, Gertrude stamped upon Lycan's head before standing and staring at her for several moments. Shortly after 5.30 p.m., Richard Hobbs returned to the Benazuski residence and immediately pre uh, proceeded to the basement. He slipped on the wet basement stairs and fell heavily to the floor to of the basement to be confronted with the sight of Stephanie crying and cuddling. Lycan's emaci emaciated, er, emaciated? emaciated and lacerated body after she had been ordered by her mother to clean Sylvia. Stephanie and Richard then decided to give Likens a, a warm, soapy bath. I would say this nice of Richard, but Richard also fucking branded her and fucking tried to brand a, um, an S into her body with a goddamn, what was it, a, uh, an anchor or something. 
Sorry, I can't, I can't really remember that. Hold on. Okay. They then laid her upon a mattress in one of the bedrooms. As Sylvia muttered her final wish that her, that her daddy was here and that Stephanie would take her home. Stephanie then turned to her younger sister, Shirley, exclaiming, Oh, she'll be alright. Fuck Shirley, too. When Stephanie realized that Lycans was not breathing, she attempted to apply mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation as Gertrude repeatedly shouted to the children in the house that Lycans was faking her death. Lycans was 16 years old when she finally succumbed to her injuries. And that was the end of um, Sylvia Lycans. <sighs> so, as you can see, that was a very fucked up case. And the fact that basically all the killers damn near got off scot-free, honestly, kind of, it it just goes to show. Shit's fucked up out here, man. So, yep, that was the case of Sylvia Likens. Man, that was the second, this was the second episode of the, extreme, the Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile podcast. Um, if you... If you enjoyed this one, I mean, I don't think you would enjoy this. If you, um, if you learned something new in this episode that you didn't know, uh, good for you. <laughs> There's no comments. So, like, yeah. Let's start uploading this episode to YouTube, which I just might, actually. But, um, yep. That, that was, that was a Sylvia like it's great case. Um, make sure you, uh, make sure you, uh, um, become one of my Patreons. Become one of my patrons on Patreon. My Patreon is, um, it is a extremely wicked podcast. Make sure you join there. Become one of the tiers. Um, oh yeah, I forgot to explain y'all the tiers. The tiers, the uh, mid tier, uh, the, it's monthly. Alright, the lowest tier is $5 a month. Mid tier is $10 a month. And highest tier is $20 a month. I think that's pretty reasonable. Yeah, so make sure you go on there and support me so I can get my shit, so I can get, uh, get, you know, more of a setup. Because right now I only have, like, these, uh, earbuds with the microphone built in and my phone. And I assume it sounds good. I think it sounds good because these are, like, these are good earbuds. And, you know, the last episode, there was, like, this loud-ass sound because I, I, I used some headphones that I fucking bought at the, um, at the dollar store, like, right before. But then I remembered I have these. So, yeah, yeah, I think we're recording this until I have... At one point, like, eventually, I want to get, like, a, um, you know, I just want to get a laptop and a USB microphone so I can record my shit, and that's really all I need. Also, if you want to donate to my cash app, my cash app is PeaceGod9999. Make sure, you know, if you want to, you don't have to, but yeah. Um, so make sure, if you want to, my Patreon is, um, is... Extremely Wicked Podcast. Um, my cash app is, my cash tag is PeaceGod9999. And make sure you follow me on Twitter. My Twitter is um, Always Wildin. And the name is Labando James. So you can either, yeah, I, yeah, either look up Labando James or look up Always Wildin. Uh, I suggest Labando James, though. It's more um, unique, whatever. <laughs> alright well I'll see y'all in the next episode which will be about Robert Kelly R. Kelly next episode I'm going to be going down a um I'm going to be going down a timeline of R. Kelly's from where he started like in his music career to now which you know he's a fucking prison as he should be um well yeah 
Make sure you support me on those. And I'll see you in the next one. Love y'all. Be good humans. Oh, shit.